I'm on a mission. A mission to speak with the most inspiring people from all over the world. I want to know their stories. I want to know what stories they used to tell. And are those the same stories that they're telling today? Or did they redefine that story to overcome limiting beliefs and achieve their dreams? I want to help them share their stories. Why? Because I know the power of the story. I know that it can make or break you. It can give you the world or it can tear it apart. There's always two sides going down in your head and you get to choose. Will I listen to the one that's trying to stop me or the one that keeps pushing? These are their stories and this is the stories we tell. What's up, guys? It's your host, Jamie Messina, and I have a great guest today, an awesome guest. Her name is Brittany Cooley. She is the author of Strength Personified. And here's the deal. I want to give you a little um, insight into this episode, but first, if you haven't hit subscribe yet, go ahead and do that. And if you find value in today's episode or any of the episodes that you've heard, please consider going and leaving us a five-star review over on iTunes. Um, that's going to help me reach my goal of rippling out to at least a million people so that we can kind of inspire some people to, to make some changes and do some things and hear some amazing stories, okay? Now, in this episode, we talk about some pretty heavy stuff, okay? I just want to give you a warning, a trigger warning. We do talk about suicide. We talk about suicide attempts. We talk about um, child abuse, uh, sexual abuse, and and things like that. So if you're triggered by these things, uh, why don't you put this episode on the back burner and maybe you can revisit it in the future. But um, I just wanted to give you that warning because it does get a little deep, a little heavy, and... Um, it's that's not the basis you know we come out of it but i just want to give you that warning there so that you aren't caught uh caught off guard so that being said Brittany has an amazing story and i am so grateful that she is here with us and able to share it with all of you so i really don't have much else to say other than let's hear from Brittany. all right guys i have with me oh sorry i'm slamming my fist like because i'm excited um <laughs> cool is that what we're calling you? Yes. Oh, yes. That is my name. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is my name. Nothing Listen, else. We go way back. It's probably, what, like eight years now? Yeah. Um, almost a, like 10, I think. Yeah, almost 10 years. Damn, it flies. So um, I'll just give you a little background of, number one, why I invited Brittany on here. Um, but number two, just like where we came from. So one day in, in my first ever network marketing company that saved my life, that changed my life, um, it, it completely changed my insides and outsides. Um, I was at an event and uh, we were, you know, people got up and, and spoke about their story. And Brittany happened to be sitting in front of me. And then all of a sudden they called the next person up. I hadn't really necessarily known who you were yet, but I, I knew about you or, or I've seen you around. And she got up and shared her story and it touched my heart so much because it just, um, it just, uh, number one, the strength of you getting up and sharing that in front of that large crowd. And number two, just, it, it's something that I'm passionate about as well. And so I'm not going to tell your story, but I'm going to say that ever since then, I, was, I tapped her on the shoulder when she sat back down. I don't know what I said, but I was like, hi, <laughs> you know? Oh, I remember. I remember because I had the biggest crush on you ever. And I was like, oh, she talked to me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, tap, you tap me and you're like hey really cool story it's amazing <laughs> and I was like uh, I've made it 
Yeah. Um, so Brittany, I'll let you just share a little bit of that part or whatever, just to give them a little bit of who you are. My name is Brittany Cooley and I have a very long history of a lot of trauma and I have survived a lot and I hit it for a long time. Um, and I just kind of found my voice in 2014. I stopped trying to pretend to be something I wasn't anymore. And I decided to just let it all out and be myself because I, I needed to heal from it. Um, so, you know, big, you know, childhood trauma, all kinds of stuff, but I, you know, I survived a very, very serious suicide attempt in 2012. Um, like I was put in the ICU, I was intubated. I had surgery of 26 staples in my stomach. Like it was serious. Not that suicide attempts aren't, they are all serious, but like I, to survive something like that and come out on the other side after being in that dark, deep, dark place for so long and being like, holy shit, like I can't, you know, it, it changes you completely, but it also really makes you look inside of yourself and say, you know, you have to take ownership. Like I put myself there. I let myself, I made that decision. Like that didn't happen to me. I did it. And why is my life, what is so bad about my life that made me not want to live it anymore? And then, but also, you know, I was like, this is my second chance to change my narrative, to change the things that I don't like. And for the first time ever, I felt like I had the ability to create a life that I genuinely loved by being the person I genuinely was. So that took a ton of self-reflection and, you know, just years and years of, you know, therapy to process all my trauma, but the revelations and the realizations I've had have completely transformed me. And I, you know, have been through a lot since then too, but I have recently just really fallen in love with who I am and let go of other people's opinions and just really focus on sharing my story and being transparent. I overshare all the time. People know if you follow me or if you know who I am, I tell everything and I do, I say things that a lot of other people don't because I think it's important for people to hear where I've been and hear where I am, but highlight reels don't help anyone. They don't help the people who are hurting and through everything I've experienced and all the pain, I had to make it worth something. I had to provide value to my, to, to the world. I believe that. And the only way that it would make all of this pain, like heal for me and use it as a purpose is to, to share it and help other people find their strength within their struggle and change their narrative and decide to be their author of their own story. Uh, so I have, you know, I, I always have a lot to say, but um, that's kind of an overview. Can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to that point when you, so you said very serious suicide attempt. Um, holy crap, there's a big lightning bolt. I'm sorry, it's probably, oh, there it is. <laughs> um, I heard it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I've seen the scar. So do we want to get vivid on or? So basically, yeah, I mean, whatever. <laughs> has a huge spot. I don't have anything to hide. You know, uh, we'll just say very serious. But what brought you there? Like, what brought you to the point of like, what was it that you were thinking? Okay, this is why I don't want to live my life anymore. Yeah, and it, it's a lot. It is a lot of. It wasn't even just like a certain thing happening. It was a compilation of my life events up until that point, and never dealing with them. 
um, I just sucked it up and pushed it down. I compartmentalized it. You know, I just ignored it, you know, float in the air and disappear. Um, like it didn't matter. You, you don't address it. And because, you know, I was parentified at a very young age, I had to figure things out. I didn't have time to feel sorry for myself. I needed to figure out what I needed to do next. I was a problem solver. So problem solving was always something I was very good at. Um, but I did not take into consideration my mental health and my emotions and that it would all come back up and bite me someday. So the example I give is, you know, if you're, you know, a bad house cleaner and you just keep sweeping everything under the rug, well, imagine, and I, this is my rug analogy and it's dumb, but I say it every time because it gives you a visual. So if you just keep sweeping the dirt under the rug for a year, two years, like it doesn't go anywhere. It's still there. It's still under there and it's getting worse. And eventually it's going to pile up, right? Like this is years of dirt that you just don't get rid of. You don't process, you don't actually take care of and throw out. Um, eventually you're going to turn around and you're going to trip over it and you're not even going to notice because it's just like one drop in a cup in a sink there. It, it's a million drops and you put drops into this cup all day, but if you never empty it out, it's going to overflow eventually. And it was just like that. It was like the, the, can't the straw that broke the camel's back or whatever the last drop in the cup that made it spill over and it was a compilation of all of this trauma and everything I tried to suck up and be strong and me pretending to be someone I wasn't and bending over backwards making people happy uh when I it was like hurting me you know um because I was so desperate to just fit in and be normal and be loved and appreciated and I thought that who I really was, I didn't really know that person because I ignored her, but I also just didn't think anybody would ever like who I was. So I tried to make myself people that I wasn't. I tried to, my whole life, I've tried to fit into a box that I did not belong in, you know? Um, and the compilation of years of those behaviors over time, you get to a point where just, you know, you wake up one day and maybe you stub your toe and then you're like, this is it. I, I can't take anymore. Um, in my situation, it was a little different. I, it's a long story and I don't know how to summarize it, but my childhood was, was not normal oh, shoot. as most, what something happened here. My, my volume. I apologize guys. Hold on. My, my thing here. All right. Output internal speakers input. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, speak again. Hello. I can't hear you for some reason. What? Is your earbuds did? Oh, there we go. No. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, go ahead. Okay. No, it's okay. Um, so a summary of the, the events that led me to waking up one day and deciding that I did not want to do it anymore. I was tired. There was nothing else I could do. I was done tapping out. Um, my mom was, uh, I watched my mom go from being this like super successful, amazing woman who was this like Mary Poppins of a mother to me, made the cute little sandwiches, made the holidays magic, spent hours like cutting out reindeer feet and putting them outside for Santa. She was that kind of mom and she was that kind of mom all day, every day. So I watched her go from that when I was young, you know, little to going, you know, she was my hero. I loved her. We were the best friends, whatever watching her go from that, you know, executive director of a company, very successful, wrote grants for the government. I mean, best dressed in for the late nineties and a single woman like that, 
that was like unheard of. Like she was groundbreaking and innovative and brilliant. Mm. And I admired her so much. And I watched her go from that to this very, this very sick person who turned very mentally ill. And she kind of drugged me through this, this five years of turmoil and just kind of, and I followed her because I felt responsible for helping her get back to being super mom. And I was very young. Um, she took me away from my family. She took me to Florida for five years. Um, you know, she didn't get a job. She became very hyper, um, very religiously preoccupied. God was telling her to do things. Her mental health completely declined and, you know, it, it, it was devastating to watch, but I just kept hoping that like that super mom would come back. I didn't understand. Like I was too young to get what happened in that disconnect. Um, so, you know, and we experience, I mean, I experienced some very horrific things and it's, it's a miracle that I am alive right now, even just surviving those five years with her. Um, so I became parentified at a young age. I felt like I had to take care of my mom. You know, we were like running from caseworkers and people that were trying to find me, you know, um, cut off contact with my family. And then eventually she ran out of money and cashed in retirement and ran out of that and wouldn't get a job because she just kept believing that God was going to take care of us. And, you know, we lost everything. I lost everything that I ever owned, like any possession I ever owned. We were homeless. We lived in a car for three years. I, we went weeks without eating decent meals, we went months without a place to sleep. And then like the grand finale of me getting out of there with, you know, she, she literally allowed me to be sexually molested by 40 year old men for six days, uh, because that she was that sick. She thought that it was God's will. Um, so after that, you know, I end up, so she picked me up on the last day of third grade and I did not get rescued or I did not come home until I was 14 and supposedly going into ninth grade. Um, and I could have easily at any time during those five years, been like call like find a pay phone. This was before, mm-hmm. you know, cell phones and Snapchat location. Like it was really hard to find someone <laughs> like you couldn't have, um, you know, I, I could have easily at any time found a quarter and found a pay phone and called my dad and said, please come get me. This is nuts. And they would have immediately come and got me like, and, and I knew that but I just felt responsible. I felt like I had to take care of her because I was the only person I knew I didn't understand mental illness, but I knew there wasn't something right with her. She wasn't the same. And I just believed that she just needed a little more time to get better. And after that had happened, you know, I, I was a let or I was 13. And it's like, I can't do this again. Like I'm not that, you know, I can, not eat and I can not go to school and I can, you know, scrounge and savage and sleep in cars and be dirty and not have clothes. Like I can sacrifice everything that a kid's supposed to do, sacrifice years of building sports and relationships and having friends. Like I can do that to protect somebody I love. I will do that, but I can't, I'm not, but then I, something switched and I always felt her love for me no matter what, but something switched and I didn't feel safe anymore. Like I, I had to keep her safe, but she no longer, I felt she no longer loved me. She no longer attached herself to me. It's like, she disconnected. I felt it. And I was like, I can't, I I was like, I would rather die than continue to live like this. And if that's, you know, 
I mean, I'm, I, it's a miracle I survived it at all. And I was like, I, I made a decision. I was like, I, I felt awful. I felt selfish. I mean, how, you know, screwed up is that? You know, I was, I was 14 and I was so ridden with guilt because I was leaving the one person, the only person that ever met and so much to me. I mean, I love my other family. I love my dad too. He's the next hero of my story, but you know, I couldn't almost live with myself for deciding to choose myself and not put myself in that situation anymore. But I knew I had to, I was like, I'm not going to make it. And I don't want to die. Like it would be nice to have a home and a bed to sleep in and friends and school, you know, I was like, this, this sucks. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I figured, you know, I wrote a letter to my dad and, and a couple months I had to go through the court system. That was a nightmare. And I got I sent home, you know, to Pennsylvania. And so I was 14 and I hadn't been in school for five years. Last grade I had fully completed was third. I didn't know my times tables. I still don't, um, you know, like I, I, you know, and I was just expected to transition back into reality to, to, to normal life. Like how the fuck was I supposed to do that? You know, cause I didn't know who I was. I didn't know how to socialize with other kids. I didn't know any, you know, I didn't know how to obey authority figures because I was the authority figure, you know? And I, every time I ate a meal, I ate till I couldn't breathe because I have this thing like you, you know, when you can eat, you got to eat. Cause you don't know when you're going to be able to eat again. Like I was like extremely traumatized and messed up and scared, but also like, fuck you. You know, like it was just, I was super screwed up, but then I like got back and I was like, I almost wanted to return because I really didn't know what to do. (laughs) I don't know. This is going to be the hardest thing I've ever done. Like, I don't know how to be a normal kid after that and leaving my, the most important thing and like be able to live with myself. But I, you know, I'm very lucky. I have the best dad in the world and he just encouraged me and my family didn't, they knew it was bad, but they didn't know how bad I, I never told them this. I mean, they didn't find out until my book came out. Literally, like I kept it all to myself. So I, I didn't want to hurt anybody. I didn't want anybody to worry about me. I wanted to show them I was fine. And so it became this sick game of, oh, well, I was, I went through that, but I immediately was like, nobody's ever going to find out. So I have to figure out how to be normal. I have to just suck it up and figure it out. I should have gone to extensive trauma therapy. I should have talked about all of it and worked through it. Like I should have been, but I, I didn't. And I, it's not that it wasn't offered to me. I don't remember if it was, but I, you know, I was like, no, I'm good. Like, let's just like, okay, what do we do about me not knowing how to like read? (laughs) Because, you know, I have to go into, I'm supposed to be going into ninth grade, you know? So, you know, I found out, I, I knew how to problem solve. I knew how to fix things. I knew how to make things better, patch it up enough to keep going. So that's what I did. I, you know, I went to figure out what I needed to do to go to school. And they're like, well, I don't know. You don't have any transcripts. You don't like, we don't know. Like you might have to just like do some kind of homeschooling or whatever. I was like, nope, I'm going to go to high school and I'm going to figure it out because I'm going to be normal and I'm going to have the rest of the childhood that I was supposed to have. And so I did, I figured it out. I studied all summer. I, I tested poorly on all the tests, but they decided to give me a chance and I did it. I, you know, I was kind of weird at first. Social socializing was hard for me, if you can imagine that now. 
<laughs> now I don't shut the fuck up, but you know, I, I had to, it's true. I had to completely learn how to be a normal human again, you know, and I was weird at first, you know, I, I was very like, you know, I wore fishnets on my arms and like glared at people and terrible eyeliner or whatever. And, you know, but then I was, I just, you know, people were like, oh, she's weird. And I was like, I had the nickname queen of the damned in ninth grade. And I was like, oh, I don't, that's not the person I want to be. So let's figure out who people like more. And I was like all the popular girls that were in FBLA and were cheerleaders. And I was like, I'm going to do that. And I did. It was like, sophomore year, I completely transformed into a new person. I was like, Oh, this is the person that I'm supposed to be that get people to care about me and love me. And so I did. And I just kept doing that. And so finally my senior year, I wasn't at the top of my class. My academics were always a struggle for me, but I graduated on time in 2007 after missing all of that school. And I was a basketball cheerleader, which was the hardest squad to get on in the school. And I was treasurer of the FBLA and I I did it. And I was like, yeah, like I was proving something to somebody that didn't even know what had happened. Like I was proving it to myself. I was trying to find myself worth. And then I went on to college and I was like, all right, well, since I know about how bad it sucks to struggle so mad, you know, I have to use this to help other people to make it worth something because my heart still ached so badly over what I had experienced in my mom, you know? And so but I just feel put that into my schoolwork. And I was like, well, I'm going to be a social worker and I'm going to save all these kids. That's what I'm going to do. And I just kept going. Like I just never stopped to process. I never stopped to feel my emotions. And I constantly looked for validation and worth and what other people thought about me. Like if I saw you and you were like, I don't like your hair, you should cut it. And that would really make me care about you. I'd be like, okay, I'll go cut my hair. And like, this is what you want me to do. Okay. So I became this robot of just, doing what everyone else wanted because I needed to feel loved and appreciated so much because I never had a good sense of self-worth. I hated myself. I I punished myself for doing this to my mom. And I felt like it was my fault. And I just, I so desperately just wanted to feel loved. But as we know, we cannot feel love and accept love if we don't love ourselves and we're not being true to ourselves. So it was this whole struggle, you know, and, and I had great friends and I had great experiences. It's not like I was just this trauma traumatized thing but you know what I graduated but before I graduated my mom passed away because she was found destitute on the streets of Florida and I knew that would happen to her if I left I said that like I before all of the the things happened before I left I said I can't leave her because if I do she's gonna die like she needs me like she needs me like I'm her heart if I leave she will die but when I felt that disconnect I was like well I have to save myself like I can't you know? And so that happened and that she did like, it was true. I left her to die and she died. And I just internalized that it was my fault. Like if I would have stayed and just sucked it up and kept suffering, like she'd still be alive. And I know that's messed up to think about, but, and I just, but I felt this deep darkness and this deep pain and like, I just had to make it go away as fast as possible. And this was in college. This was not yet to the attempt. And so I, I immediately had to make it dissipate. So what did I do? I shoved it down and I just immersed myself in everything I possibly could to stay busy, to ignore it. I was like, all right, well, we can't deal with that because that's too dark and we don't want to feel like that. And we still need to maintain our superior 
you know, robot status of trying to fit in and be Supergirl and, and find somebody to love us, you know, somebody to appreciate us. So I shoved it down and I kept going. I went back to school like a week after a funeral and, you know, I, I just kept going and I never unlocked that box. You know, I would cry every once in a while and I would severely avoid like mommy daughter things. Like I would see a mom and a daughter walking somewhere and I would just lose it. And I, you know, I'd take like two minutes to get through it. And then I'd be like, okay. And then, you know, I started drinking heavily and smoking a lot of weed. Cause I'm like, oh, well I felt great. I didn't care about anything when I was drunk. Yeah. So I was like, this is the key. So I developed terrible habits, you know, just covering it up. Like, like, go away. I don't want to feel that. I didn't know how to, you know? So I get out of college and, you know, everyone's like, well, okay. And I was proud of myself, but I was still very empty. Like I have to get this, I have to get a job to help people so I can just keep going and burying things. And then, you know, February, 2012 rolls around. I get it. My first like job that I really wanted in my field. And I'm so excited about it. And then I started it. And, you know, at that point I was in a relationship and I had my own apartment, you know, you know, with my boyfriend and I was doing all this, you know, stuff that I was supposed to be doing, you know, checking things off the list that everybody is supposed to do, you know, the society is fucked. And I was deeply unhappy and I couldn't figure out why I was like, I have this job. I was like, I should be happy. I should be happy. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. And I was in complete denial that I was no one who I wanted to be. And I had to tiptoe around everybody because I wanted to make sure that everyone loved me and I was important to everybody's life. And I started my job and I was, you know, I just kept latching onto things to keep going, you know, and I got this job and I started it. I was excited at first and like six months in, like I finally, for the first time had to be real with myself. I'm like, I hate this fucking job. I can't do this. It's too hard because it brought up all kinds of childhood memories because I saw cases and kids that were going through the same thing I did and I couldn't deal. And I just started to shut down and I didn't even know what was happening at the time. I mean, it was definitely my onset of a nervous breakdown for sure. I literally like someone who got up and did her hair and makeup every day and showered twice a day and always shaved her light. Like I was always very clean and on it. And I just stopped giving a fuck. Like one day I woke up and I'm like, I'm not washing my hair today. And then the next day I'm like, I'm not even showering today. The next day I was like, I'm not even going to go to work. And this is, I have had a job every, like I've had one or two jobs since I was 14. I've always worked. I've always shown up. And if I didn't show up, like there was a really good reason that I didn't um, pride myself on my work ethic because my father like is the hardest working man. And I watched him like work and bust his ass his whole life. And that's something he always instilled in me. It's like, you gotta work, you know? And so for me to not go to work like that, that is not who I am. And, but I didn't, I know these, all these warning signs, but I didn't even, it was too late. Like the curtains were already closing. The room was already getting smaller and darker. I'm like, I couldn't stop it. Like I could not stop it. And I just, over the span of like a week, I just went from like being this like person, this high strung person to just quitting, like giving up. Like, I was like, I don't feel like doing this anymore. I'm tired. Like you can only run a car so long. You got to fill with gas. And my tank was just empty. 
And this cup was overflowing of all these emotions that I didn't understand. I didn't know where they were coming from. Cause you know, my rug was, you know, I tripped and cracked my head and I had a concussion. So I had no idea what was going on. And I was in so much pain and there was nothing I, to, that I could figure out how to do. Like for the first time in my life, I didn't know how to fix this deep darkness inside of me. And I was so distraught. And I literally, it was, it was like the shit you see on TV. I was sitting in a corner rocking and wringing my hands and crying. And I didn't know what to do. And I was, you know, I went to the emergency room once and I just explained kind of what was going on. And I, you know, and I think that they thought that I was like drug seeking. They were not great to me. Like what I should have happened to me now that I know, like they should have taken me up to Packer or they should take me to the hospital to have a psych evaluation. And then because if somebody would have said like, are you thinking about killing yourself? I would have said, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea right now. Cause I don't like this, but they were just like, you know, you know, maybe you're just, you need to t- you know, relax and take a break. You know, they gave me some Ativan which it's a benzo and it's addictive and it makes you feel like a potato. Yeah. It like, and I had never been a like drug doer before. I mean, other than marijuana, like I never popped pills, but I'm like, Oh, well, these pills will make me, it'll make it go away. Cool. Like, yeah, give me up. Yeah. That's really good. Give somebody that's like deep in despair, a benzo. Like they, that's exactly what they need. It just, it was just this thing. And I was, just, they sent me away. They looked at me like I was crazy, which I figured they would, but I literally was very afraid. And I didn't tell anybody that this is happening to me because what am I going to say? Like, I'm freaking out and I don't know why. Like, I had no idea what was going on, but it was bad. And I took some Ativan and then I was like, oh, this is great. I don't care. So then I just slept. Like, and I just, I didn't go to work for like a, a week. I think it was a week. I just didn't. And I just didn't, like, I didn't answer supervisor's texts. Everyone's like, where's, like, what's going on? I'm surprised nobody showed up at my apartment. I was just like, I don't, I just don't feel good. It's fine. And then one morning I woke up out of my like benzo coma and I was like, this is not going to get any better. Like, this is just like when I'm just going to sleep the rest of my life. I hadn't showered in like a week. And that's not me, you know, coming from somebody who was homeless and couldn't shower and was dirty all the time. And, you know, I always took a shower. It's like, it's a gift to take a shower. And I realized it was not going to get any better. And then that, the, the, the blinds completely shut and the light completely went out. And I was that wreck again. I was like, I don't want to keep taking these pills. Cause I'm just going to keep waking up and doing, feeling like this again. And it's never going to go away. And then I was like, it's so, it's very scary when you get to that point for real, because you completely detach from reality. I mean, it is like, I don't even know who that person, like thinking about how I thought that day now is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, like where, what, but you really do like your walls close in and you're focused on your pain and not how, what your solution is going to do to everyone that's connected to you, but just like making it stop. And I really was convinced I got this first like big relief I've had. In years, I felt like free and I was so happy finally. And I was like in this stage of euphoria, like I was like, I figured it out. Like I finally figured out what I need to do to make this all go away. And then maybe I can be with my mom again. 
And that was it. I made my decision. I was like, huh. And I was excited about it. I was like, oh my God, like I'm finally going to be free from this hell of a life. I'm exhausted from, you know? And so I woke up the next day and made a pot of coffee. I was, I was, I listened to music. I took a shower. I showered. I put clean clothes on. I was a completely new person because finally I had like an end in sight. Like, like pain's going to be over soon. Like, it's like when you're starving and like, you, like, you know, dinner's going to be ready in five minutes. You're not hungry anymore. Right. Cause you're like, Oh, food is coming. Like your brain is like, it's, you know, exact same feeling. And I was like, you know, I'm coming mom. <laughs> so I took a knife out of my kitchen drawer and plunged it into my stomach. Cause that, you know, that was the way to go. I don't, I mean, and I'm, I'm really glad that I didn't have a gun. I'm real. I really am. I'm glad that I didn't have access to anything worse because I didn't want to take a bunch of pills because I was afraid that it wouldn't work. I was like, no, this, you know, and if I had a gun, I totally, totally would have, but I was like, oh no, if somebody sees me buying a gun, they're going to be worried. Like you do think about that a little bit, but, and then I don't remember anything else. And I was being willed into their emergency room into trauma and my clothes are being cut off me. And they're like, all these, you know, fluorescent lights were like above me. And I was like, fuck, like, it's like, it's gotta, you know, I was almost like so angry because I'm like, why isn't this working yet? This is not, this wasn't what was supposed to happen. And like a surgeon leaned over my face and I was so pissed, but I was so like out of it. I don't know how much blood I had lost. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Barely remember the ambulance ride. And I had the surgeon leaned over me and he's like, he's like, honey, is there anybody that we can call for you? And I was like, oh shit. Like, that is when the light came back on and like the blinds flew up and I was like, you know, really bright for the first time. And I was like, fuck, like, and I just panicked instantly. And I was like, please call my dad. And, and I was trying to like, get out like where he worked. And if he didn't answer, like call the house because he doesn't really answer at work. Cause it's a factory. Like I was freaking out. I was like, please tell him that I love him. I'm so sorry. Because then it's like the flip side, like the lights turn back on and your perspective is like refocused. It's not blurry and like covered in demons anymore. And I was like, my dad is going to get this phone call. Why would I ever do that to this man that I love so much? How badly it would hurt him and everybody else, you know? What the fuck? Like I, and then I instantly like envisioned him getting the call and freaking out. And having to bury me next to my mother. I was like, what is wrong with you? Like, what? why would you ever think this is an illusion? But when you're in that dark moment, when you're there, like you're on rock bottom's basement floor, like you can't, like it's, you weren't, it's, it's too, it is too late. Like people say, well, it's never too late. It is like, once you get to that point, that final point, I mean, and for me, it took me 23 years, but like, I wasn't coming back from that. And, and I'm so lucky that I did. So then everything went dark. And then at 3 a.m. the next day, I woke up in the emergency or in the ICU and I was intubated. And I, my stomach was all stapled up. They had to do emergency surgery to make sure like to see if I had damaged 
ruptured something or damaged something. I was very lucky. I missed very important organs by like, not even, I don't know. I'm, I don't know numbers still. So like, I don't know what measurement it was, but you know, very, very close to slicing something that would have either given me like a permanent colostomy bag or like not been able to, you know, save me. And that's when I was like, I woke up and I was, I was like, fuck, like, I need to figure this out. Like, why? Like, it was my fault that I'm here. Well, how did I get here? Like, I took responsibility for my life for the first time. And was like, how did I get so unhappy to choose this and to do this? And then I was like, my poor family and like, every. so it was like a, and it was three in the morning. So like, there were no visitors at that time. There was just nurses, you know? Um, and so I was, I woke up alone. Like there was no one there, which was even harder, but I'm glad it was like that because I kind of had this like, vision of my mom and it was so weird and I was drug obviously drunk I was like on time working whatever but I was like I need to like no one's coming to save me like no one's coming to save me so I have to figure out how to fix this for myself and I was like all right well I have a lot to do and it was a very long it's been a very long 10 years since then. This year is my 10 year anniversary of my rebirth. <laughs> it's been a very long 10 years, <laughs> really. But, um, you know, I had to go through the, I had to go through the process. I had to, you know, heal and be medically cleared. And then I had to go to psych and patient for as long as they were going to keep me. And that was a whole nother experience of being humiliated and, and humbled, you know, and really looking at your demons and being like, fuck, you know, and I finally figured out all of the things and like brought up, you know, I oh, shook out my rug and had to seep through all that dirt and throw it away. Like it's an exhausting process, like healing from trauma or healing or, you know, forgiving people for, it's just this long thing. I've, I've held stuff in for 20 years and I had to let all of it go. So it takes a long time, but on the flip side, um, I've done a lot of things. I've been a lot of places, obviously we met in Beachbody and I, you know, I s- still kept a lot of my bad habits with drinking and smoking and all that, but then I decided to get healthy and I lost 65 pounds and I worked out, traveled the world with you and, mm-hmm. you know, and then I quit that and did branding coaching or whatever. But eventually, um, two years ago, I moved home and I was very disappointed to be moved home because I didn't ever want to come back here because there's a lot of bad memories here you know just a lot of pain that's here and I just still don't really like to look like I've dealt with it but I like don't want to look at it every day you know like I don't go see my mom's grave every day because like I can't in order for me to be my best self I cannot focus on that all the time anyway so so devastated but then I saw this job come up at this building and I was like "Hmm." so I applied and I was like yeah you're nuts you know what I mean whatever but I ended up being interviewed and I got the job and I worked there for two years. And that's really when I started to get proud of myself. It was literally two years ago. I became a therapeutic case manager and I basically, I didn't run the treatment team, but I was a part of the treatment team with a psychiatrist and a therapist in the same facility that I was hospitalized in 10 years ago. I was like, 
holy shit. Like I fucking made it. Like I did it. And and I'm still so proud of that. It's amazing what you can do when you decide to stop feeling sorry for yourself and you start, you start digging yourself out of a hole. Like it, it's amazing. You just change your mindset and you will change your life. I went from like trying to, and I've evolved and, and I still struggle with things. Obviously everyone does, but I, it's like, if you would have told me when I was in the ICU that I would be where I am today, doing what I'm doing today, I'd be like, no way. Like, there's no way I could do that. No way. Like I can, I'm not capable of that, but it's amazing when you change your mindset and you fix your trauma and you stop shoving yourself inside of boxes you don't belong in and you accept who you are and you love who you are finally for the first time your whole life. And you don't care if anybody else does, you can create some really amazing shit and you can live a life that you love to live and you can live your dream life and you could have everything you've ever wanted. And you know, a few years ago, I decided, I was like, I I just felt this burning inside of me. I was like, I have to, I got to tell people about like what I've done, like what I've been through. And I was, you know, when I got even out of the hospital, it was like, I was doing the rug thing again. And I was like, I'm never going to tell anybody this story. Nobody's ever going to know because the stigma, oh, she's unstable. She tried to kill herself, you know, like, oh, you know, careful around Brittany. She was crazy. Like, and I was, I was, I didn't tell anybody only a very small, amount of my friends knew and my family knew. And that was it. I was like, I'll just go meet new people and create new experiences. And they will never know that part about me. And they'll love me for who the healed version of me. Right. I'm still fucked up and I'm, I'm healed now. (laughs) And I was like, no, this is not, um, I need to, okay. Hold on one second. Oh, where is that button? Okay. Um, nope, that wasn't Okay. Um, I, I knew I had to tell it. I knew I had to tell my story. And I was like, I was embarrassed and I was as freaking out as the scariest thing I've ever done. Cause I still seek validation from other people who doesn't, you know, I still don't like hearing that people don't like me. Now I really don't care. But back then I still did. I was really worried about what my family was going to say. Cause they didn't know any of it. But I was like, I just felt like, man, if I had read something like this, when I was in that dark place, it would have, it would have put my blinds up a lot faster. You know what I mean? And I was like, I've always tried to turn my pain into my strength. And I was like, this is how I'm going to do it. And I just, it felt it in my bones. So the next day I bought BrittanyCooley.com and I wrote out a very short version of my story and I counted down on social media and I, I posted it and I was like, cause it was like new social media was new. So I was like, I'll just post the, my link and no, maybe nobody will read it. Like who, who gives a shit what I say? You know, I had 300 Facebook friends. I had a hundred followers on Instagram. Like nobody knows me. I'm from a small town. I get three likes on my pictures. Like nobody gives a fuck. Like no one's going to read it. And the people that do, I don't know, whatever. So I just posted it. I was like, fuck it. Well, that's when everything kind of really changed for me because then I really embraced my purpose, which was sharing my story and helping others find their strength and their pain too, and building, building a beautiful life on the worst experiences of their life. Like I had, because if I can do it literally, like I did not have good cards. Like if I can do it, everyone else can. And people, this is still something that's so taboo. People don't talk about it. People don't talk about struggling. They share their highlight reel. Highlight reels aren't impressive. They're, they're not. 
highlight reels are not inspiring. You know what's inspiring? Somebody having a meltdown and sharing the, the hard part and then showing the good part. Like I had to be here before I was here and I just embraced that. And I over since 2014, you know, I, I spoke with Beachbody and there's like what, 3000 people there. And that's really kind of when things started to pick up for me and I, people are like, speak, I, you know, speaking. And I was like, I got to write a fucking book. Like I, I like, I had a blog and I would speak and share my story, but like I had to write a book. So in 2018, my book, my first book came out and, but you know, it, that was a whole, that's a whole different podcast episode we can talk about, but, um, I found why I'm here and why I survived and it's to help other people prevent them from doing, making that decision. Um, and I, I've, I've been through, I, I would say I've been through like more traumatic things, like in the last 10 years than I did, like in my childhood, it feels like I've been through hell and back like this time, but my perspective is completely different because instead of wondering, you know, why is this happening to me and being a victim? It's like, what can I learn from this? What do I need to change about myself? How can I grow? Even though this sucks, you know, but to make sure that I never even teeter on those steps to rock bottom's basement again. You know, I, I will do whatever it takes. And something that really is good for my mental health is this, is sharing my story, is helping people. Is, you know, when I say too much and ramble too much on Facebook Live or on my Instagram story, because I'm annoying as fuck, like I know, no. but I'm just my, but I'm myself, like I am me and I don't care. I don't care. I share things I prep, like most people don't because I spent so long trying to be somebody I wasn't and that sucked and I have a lot to say and I know like it helps, it helps people, you know, and I let, I let people silence me for too long, even just recently. Like I just kind of like came back and became alive again on social media because I'm an empath. Words of affirmation are my, is my love language. So when people are mean to me or there's trolls, because there are on the internet, as you know, when you put yourself out there, there's fucking people that just try to call you stupid all the time. And, you know, those little things hurt me. But I have recently, within the last two weeks, just accepted that other people's opinions are not my business and they don't pay my bills and they don't have any say in my life. And I need to stop giving other people that I don't know, or that don't matter the opportunity to tell me about me. Like no one can tell me about me. That's my decision. I'll tell you. Um, that's been a whole nother journey. Well, first I have a couple questions. Okay. But but first I want to challenge you moving forward to never, um, speak of yourself as annoying or anything like that, because that's not true. You know, that's a, that's a belief in your head or that you assume other people are thinking they're not no. And if they are, that's their problem. That's not yours. I know you know that. Um, sharing that story is, is super powerful. Uh, in my life recently, the amount of suicides that weren't just attempts that have come about is eye-opening in the sense of where, where we need to share this message even more, you know, because you sharing that message in your story and how you got through it and where you are today, even though there are ups and downs, cause it's not, you know, the road to where you are is not linear. It's ups and downs and that's life. Right. 
but to, for you to come and share that is saving other people. And, and that's what's up. And anyone who finds that annoying needs to go do some serious self um, reflection. Um, yeah. I heard you talk a lot about changing your mindset, right? So what, if somebody's listening to this and maybe they're where you are, maybe they aren't exactly where you were, but they're not feeling how you do today, or, you know, they're not on the other side of that yet. What are some steps that you took to change your mindset to, to start that process? I had to look and see what the biggest problem inside of me was. And it was my self-esteem and my self-worth. And I really had to develop like I really had to focus on, on everything I had to be grateful for, but also things that I was really proud of and, and, and valuable. You know, I had to, I had to see my value because I didn't for so long. And I still like struggle with that. I was like, you're so amazing. And I'm like, I still argue with people when they try to give me compliments. I'm like, I am a train wreck. Like, no, I'm not, you know, but I am. And, but you know, it's like fake it till you make it. You just kind of have to like pretend. And then you're like, Oh, you know what? This is true. But like, you really do have to believe it before that changes. Like you really have to believe that you're amazing. And if you don't, you have like, that's what you have to figure out first. I, it, it, you know, it, it really is perspective. Like, what can I learn from this? What can I learn from this? And also it's your circle. Like, who are you spending time with? Are there people that make you feel good? Is it people that support your dreams or is it people who make you make bad choices and make you feel bad about yourself and pick on you, but they're just joking, but they're actually being fucking mean, mm. you know, like these are like, I really had to like almost isolate myself. And yeah, I've done this since like Christmas, really like the, since this whole year, I was like, I still have things I need to hone in on. I'm not where I need to be. So I need to figure out like, and it it comes from that like self-worth, self-esteem thing, looking for it in other people. And I really had to like isolate myself to, to reduce that, you know? And yeah, it's just, it's a long process. It's taken me 10 years. Like I still like, am not exactly where I need to be with it but it really is perspective. What is, why is this happening to me? Like, what can I learn from this? And um, also I'll say this again, like accepting people for who they are and not having expectations for what they can be. Like people show you who they are. It's your fault. If you're just, if you're, it's your fault. If you're disappointed over somebody that has shown you who they are over and over and over again, but you still are like, but they can be better because you, you want to believe that everybody can be better, right? You want to see the best in people, but some people aren't, and you can't let people like that, like take up space in your, your circle, like rent free, you know, or tell you about you. And that is something that has had a major shift in me, a major shift. Like I see people for, you know, what they can be, but that's not fair, especially if they've shown me who they are over and over and over again. Um, so it's being very confident and being very alone, actually, you know, and being okay with that. Um, 100%. It's also being a mom. It's also being a mom. I have a 17 month old and she has completely changed everything I even knew about myself and my life um, for the better. And, you know, I, she is a big part of that 
You know, I do not want her to grow up hearing her mom not like herself or mm-hmm. not be confident or not be who her are. Like I want her to look up to me and say, yeah, that's my mom. She is awesome. You know, I am doing this to teach her not this, you know, I wish that I had come to this revelation 20 years ago, you know, I, I would have lived a lot different life, but. Um, yeah, well, so it's interesting. You talked about what you're proud of. So I have a gift for you and for anybody that's listening. Um, the last workbook I created, it's, um, it's free. I'll, I'll send it to you right after this. It's, uh, it works just, just on those things. Um, I don't know if recently you saw like, I've gotten a certification in neuroencoding. So these things and these things that we're feeling are totally from when we were young, right? And they're patterns that we have. And to break that pattern, we have to do certain things. And one of the things in the workbook is I have people sit down and write out 50, 50 things over their lifespan that they're proud of. And um, there's some other things in there. So I'm going to send it to you right after this. Uh, yeah. And anybody that's listening, if they check the description, I'll, I'll put a link there as well. But girl, you're on the path, man. That your story is, is listen, I think oftentimes when you are like we are, which is overachievers and really want hard on ourselves, we think we should be further along. The fact of the matter is we're never going, there's no destination. This is a journey, right? right? And it's not linear and there's going to be ups and downs. And and it's really the tools that you build within yourself to be able to handle what comes at you in a better way, to get, to get through it, not over it, but through it a little bit faster, a little Mm -hmm. bit so that we don't get knocked down and and for good. Um, So I'm super, I'm super proud of you for, for sharing your story. I'm proud of you for your book. And I heard you say first book. So I'm assuming there's more to come. Yes. So um, if you read the next book, when it comes out, you'll understand why this has been so difficult for me. Mm-hmm. But um, I have been working on my second book for almost two years now, I think. Um, yeah, two years. And I had it finished. and I was ready to publish it last year. And then I had to rewrite all of it. <laughs> So, because what I wrote wasn't true, <laughs> really, <laughs> it ended up not being true. So true in the I, moment, life, life unfolded, yeah. and you were like, "Oh crap!" Right, and I just, I, well, right, and I felt like I, and I knew that it like wasn't finished, even when I finished it. I was like, "It's not what it needs to be." Like, there's missing components to this. There isn't enough value and lessons in this. Like, I, I didn't feel good about it. And when you're an author, you share your like you if you feel like that, like you can't share it, even if people are like chopping at the bit for, and they would love it anyway. Like to me, it was not ready. And then I found out why, and I've been struggling to rewrite it in, in the midst of, you know, being a single mom and being a full-time therapist and, and being a full-time meal prep cook and trying to share my story and do my socials and stuff. I've been, I've been trying to t- find time to like tie it up, but I finally have, everything together. Um, I just need to do a little, a few more things. And I am hoping I don't, I, the second installment of strength for certified is a personal story of heartache to healing. And I'm hoping that I will get the cover done because that's what I'm just waiting on now. And a few other things to go through the editor and it'll be out. What is it? April, the end of next month. Sweet. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for that one too. And for our reconnection and we should definitely continue to chat like after this and all that, because I'm definitely have learned some things that I think would be helpful for you moving forward as yeah. through this journey. Um, 
I know that you got to go, you get a training and, you know, life, but uh, let's do yeah. season two of this or, you know, we'll do it. We'll yeah. Do part two to go. This was just sharing a little bit of your story, but next time we'll go back and we'll get deeper into it. Um, not into the story, but into the, how you, you know, change that mindset and what you're doing now. Yeah. But um, is there any, okay. One more question. Okay. Yeah. Last question. I like to ask people. If you could go back and talk to your childhood self, so maybe either the 13-year-old self or the one that got picked up on the last day of third grade, what was some advice you would give? Not like, hey, don't do this or do that, but just advice you could give them to, to help get through it. What would you say? God, why does this make me cry? <laughs> I, I tend to Fuck. do that. <laughs> uh, um, Fuck you. <laughs> um, uh, I would say that you are enough. You are enough. Yep. Yeah. You are loved. And yeah, you are enough. Because I spent a long time always thinking I wasn't. And everything that was my fault. So I'd probably tell myself that. And to stop plucking your eyebrows in high school. Because that was not... I went through that, that good. too. Well, Brittany. Oh my God. I don't know how they grew back. I also want to challenge you. Whatever you would, I want you to take time after this, after this podcast and think about what you would say to that self. And I want you to say it to yourself every single day because that child still lives within you and you can speak and be that adult that you needed then. Now it's never too late to have a happy childhood. Every single day. I love that. Speak to your childhood self. Be what you needed then. And I promise you, you will find a shift. You will feel a shift within that to where you, it won't trigger you to cry anymore. Do you think you can do that for us? I'll try. I'll do my best. Good. Okay. Right, girl, I'll see you soon. Let's, let's chat. I know you got to go, but hit me up after and we'll chat. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Jamie. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have an awesome day. Bye. All right. That was Brittany Cooley. Um, powerful, powerful story. You can uh, check the show notes if you want to follow along with Brittany, if you want to find out how to get the book, Strength Personified, and see, uh, she has a new book coming out next month, how you can grab that as well. Um, so yeah, check the description. I'll put all that information in there, as well as the link to the workbook that could help you get started on shifting that mindset that we talked about during this episode. So guys, thank you for listening. I hope that this uh, episode was helpful for you. And send it to somebody if you know that you know that may need to hear it. I would appreciate that as well. Um, you never know who you could inspire today. All right, I'll talk to you guys soon.